Welcome to the CanoeRaceWorld.com podcast, your home for everything related to marathon canoe racing. Now, it's time to get your paddles wet with your hosts, Kevin Olson and Bill Mahaffey. Take it away, boys. Welcome back, Canoe Race World listeners. I am Kevin Olson, your host, as always, with my co-host, the Neon Bandit himself, Bill Mahaffey. How are we doing today, Bill? We are doing wonderful, Kevin. I just finished up a paddle on the Asalvo River. Life could not be better. How are you doing today, sir? I am doing well. You know, it's uh, we have we've had a lot of rain here in Florida past couple days, but it's uh, it's still beautiful and warm down here, and we are back at it again, Bill. We are now in our post-marathon episodes. We, we are, right? And that is so awesome, man. The marathon has happened. Everything went off without a hitch. Before we jump into the show, though, I got to say congratulations to Nevin Harrison on her Olympic gold medal. Nevin, if you're out there, right, 2023 Asabo River Canoe Marathon mixed. <laughs> There's a record. The 42-year-old male record is hittable, right? You and me, we can do it. I'm just saying you know you want to. The Bevin. We'll call you. Yeah, Bill yeah and the, Nevin. the Bevin. No, really, I, I don't know if everybody <laughs> saw that last night or not, um, but it was absolutely phenomenal. It was history yeah. in the making. 30, 33 years since U.S. gold. Yep. Um, since Greg Barton. Like that. Yeah, Greg Barton, exactly. That so, was the last time, man. It, it was so awesome. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a beautiful thing, so... But we will we'll we'll talk more about that at a, in another uh, later show. Today we have not the champs. We have Jordan Wakeley, Matt Mearsman, your 2021 Osabo River Canoe Marathon champions and record holders. Man, that's 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 crazy. So um, we have. Matt has done the marathon 14 times. He's done about seven or eight Clintons. He's unsure of that. And four or five classiques. Jordan's done five marathons and he has not done uh, Clinton or classique. But now he is atop of the marathon canoe racing world. Thank you guys for coming on. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing, doing great, Kevin. Doing real good. Thanks for having us. Awesome, awesome. And before we get into, we're going to be hitting them with some, uh, you know, very pointed paddling specific questions. Um, but before we do that, we want to let you guys know that this is actually only the first post-marathon show we're doing. Because coming up in another week or so, we are going to get Ryan Matthews, the stats guy, back on the show and we're going to go and recap because this year was a record-breaking year. Um, there were a ton of records broken, and we're going to be recapping all of the specifics of the race with Ryan in the upcoming show. Yeah, the, the, the champs and everybody else broke all the records. Ryan Matthews probably hasn't slept in days. I can see him right now. He's probably just – he's got to be on cloud nine, right? We'll give him a week. We'll get him on and go from there. You have uh, anything else you want to bring up before we start getting right into the questions, Bill? Dude, let's do this. We've got the champs on. This is uh -huh. a uh, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Let's have some fun. 
All right, let's do it. We're going to start off a little bit more broad, and then we're going to we're going to hammer down. So I don't know who wants to take this over, but tell us how you guys formed as a team. Like, when did you guys first paddle together, first talk? Bring us through that process. Jordan, you, you good with me fielding this one? For sure. So, so for people who don't know, I'm actually the more talkative one between the two of us. And that comes as no surprise to anybody who knows Jordan uh, or me. But I'm going to try to let him answer more questions than me tonight. That's my goal for this for this show. But already I'm starting on the wrong foot here with this. It's just that to me, the whole damn thing wouldn't be as sweet as it is if it weren't for the way this all happened. So first of all, important to say that Jordan and I actually raced together once like eight or nine years ago due to crazy circumstances of me losing my partner one day before the race on my way to the upper peninsula of Michigan was not turning around determined to race. So I started scrambling, making a bunch of phone calls and someone said, well, Jordan Wakely might, uh, might race. He's, I think his bike race got canceled or something. So Jordan and I ended up racing paradise a long time ago and it just about killed him. He, (laughs) my seat was not friendly to his butt. (laughs) And uh, his leg went to sleep. And this was at the beginning of his professional bike racing career. And uh, Jordan wasn't able to feel his leg for, I think it was two weeks or so after that race. Yeah, Um, something like that. (laughs) I I thought I had ended the guy's biking career. (laughs) So, um, you know, when when we did get together this year and and, uh, the seat that I had in my boat was not that comfortable for him, it made me nervous. I was afraid this guy's never going to race with me again. I've got two uncomfortable boats he can't sit in. And so um, that was priority number one for us. But um, honestly, it was just incredible. My buddy, Sean Casey, about to be a dad, uh, his wife threw a party for him. So I head up to northern Michigan for probably I could count on one hand the number of times I've ever been to Grayling in the winter. And uh, decided I should take my skis with me, get them waxed, since I've been skiing on them for like 10 years without ever getting them waxed. So, <laughs> that's, that's like abuse, man. Now. <laughs> it's it's uh, resistance training, Bill. Uh, so so uh, I, I go into Northbound Outfitters during COVID with a mask on my face. And I asked uh, Heather in the back, I recognized her, she didn't recognize me, you know, hey, any chance I could get these skis waxed today? Uh, and she says, uh, she looks in the office, someone's in the office. She looks back in the back office and says, anything that we could do some skis today. Yeah. And then she looks at me. Yeah, I think we could do that. You know, what's the name? And I'm like, Oh, Heather, it's, it's Matt. You probably don't recognize him with a mask on. It's Matt Mearsman. Well, Matt Mearsman, that's a name I've heard a lot lately. <laughs> and I'm thinking, Oh no, what the hell? <laughs> what, 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 you know, and she just starts laughing and Pretty soon, Jordan pops out of the office, and he's like, well, shit, if I'd have known it was Matt Mears, when I put the good wax on these things, you know? And, <laughs> and so I'm like, hey, what's up, man? And, you know, and she's, you know, we say, hey, whatever. And she takes me over the register, starts writing down my information. And, and uh, you know, I'm like, seriously, what, what are you talking about? What do you mean you've been hearing my name? And uh, she says, well, Jordan, you know, he just keeps talking about here. You're the guy that he wants to do the marathon with. And Jordan pops out of the office again, like blushing at this point. And, uh, and I said, I said, well, shit, if Jordan Wakely wants to do with marathon with me, we'll go out and win the damn thing. And, uh, that, that was the start of it, man. I, I couldn't have been more pumped. <laughs> that's awesome. That's that, a great that's, story. 
that's that's amazing. So did you like stock up on seats like in preparation? Were you like <laughs> I'm doing the marathon with with Jordan Wakeley? Do I need to do I need to bring a variety of seats? <laughs> Bill, I did better than that, man. I went out and bought a brand new boat just because it had the right seat in it. Well, it, wasn't, it, it wasn't new to me. I just mean it, I bought a or excuse me, it was new to me. It was a used boat, but I mean it it had the seat I needed. So, so you bought a seat, and they happened to throw the boat in on top that's of the right. boat. That's right. Exactly. I bought a $4,000 <laughs> seat or whatever it was. Uh, that's funny. That's funny. That, that's actually we were, that. we were we were I was actually going to ask you about your boat, you know. So we might as well uh, kind of scoot I'm past good. it. Yeah, let's, let's jump right it. This, this is so, right. so you guys raced the JD Pro two. Um, what was the was the seat the determined? <laughs> the seat was it. It had the right seat. So that's yeah. Now why the Pro Two? Yeah. Go ahead. You know, Jordan. I I think we went to Florida. That was the whole goal. You know, go to Florida. Um, you know, we we paddled. We put twenty five hours not together, but twenty five hours in a week down there. And Matt, I'm not even sure what seat was in the Corbin now, but I know Just it a, wasn't as comfy. I don't. It definitely wasn't as comfy as what was in the JD Pro. Um, but as soon as I sat in that JD Pro, I knew that was the seat, and I didn't want to leave it. <laughs> it's amazing, yeah. especially for something like the marathon. Like that's a that's a very important factor. If you're not comfortable, <laughs> it's a long way to Oscoda. So I, I get it that. is, and it goes further than that, Bill. You know, so uh, we talked about this a little bit with Dave Smith, and and that was, you know, not only was the seat not that comfortable in the Corbin, uh, but you could tell that our confidence in terms of stability wasn't wasn't really there in that, but we couldn't really commit to the paddle the way you'd like to. And, um, you know, so in addition to wanting to try something with the deep bucket seat in it, uh, I was also curious what a different hole would feel like. And and so uh, George, or excuse me, uh, Bruce Barton was was kind enough to uh, let me test drive a boat that he a used boat that he wanted to sell. And uh, like Jordan said, as soon as we got in, not only did the seat feel comfortable to him, but the boat was rock solid. I mean, we just, we, we felt like super, super confident in it. So I, I have said this um, a multitude of times, and I'm a, a, mid, a mid-pack nobody here, but I firmly believe that there is a fair amount of teams that race a Corbin because it's a Corbin that would be better in a different boat for that exact factor. Without a doubt, on my in my opinion. Yes, yeah. and that. That's been my whole thing. You know, like I said, I've done five marathons. Every marathon I've done has been in a Corbin, and I thought that's the only boat I would ever paddle again. And I'm looking for a JD Pro 2, and I think everybody else in northern Michigan. Yeah, I was going to say there's there's a list at this point. Yep. <laughs> Three out of the top four boats this year's marathon were JD Pro 2s. Yes. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, so John Diller, if you're out there, uh, Jordan and I are are definitely open to uh, a sponsorship deal, man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yes. <laughs> Savage River, not a sponsor yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> hell, we'll try a Newman boat. What the hell? <laughs> hey, it's hey, it's at Martin to... Farms right now. It's there. I... If you guys want to try it, it'll be back up north shortly. So. I can I can assure you, if you guys wanted to paddle, it would be you guys would have you you you're free to paddle it as much as you want. <laughs> so um, perfect. Yeah, and it, it's funny you mentioned that because that's something that like you know with my own marathon, um, 
I, I jumped in the boat with Sylvie and I've, I've been in that boat, the, the new GRB boat and I'm, I'm super comfortable in it, but I've only paddled it with guys really. Um, so we were a heavier team. I think it was a little too much volume for us. So it, it, it didn't, it didn't fit the bill for us, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't fit the bill for other teams. And, uh, I think that's where a lot of people need to take away from it is that each, each boat has its own properties and will fit the, you know, certain teams better, you know? So, um, Hey, real quick, what, so what, what's really unique about your team? Like what's your, what's your special sauce? Like two all beef patties, lettuce, special sauce, cheese. What, (laughs) what makes your Big Mac, man? Like what made you guys the, the, did it just click or it? It just clicked. Like as soon as I got in the boat with Matt, you know, the first time down in Florida, I we drove straight. I drove straight down with uh, Mary Slimmer and Weston, and I slept on the van floor for like three hours and woke up the next day to a six-hour paddle. And even after that, it it just clicked with Matt and I. Yeah, you, you know, Jordan mentioned this. Uh, you know, again, we were talking to Dave about how the race went for us. And and one thing that was real obvious in our first race, I think it actually, Jordan, you're right to point to that first paddle in Florida, because if I remember correctly, we were alone for a lot of that paddle (laughs) out in front of everybody. And, and, you know, that gets to, to, to what I wanted to bring up from the, from the other show. And that was this grind that we had was, was just deadly. I mean, it was like clear in those first couple races that if we got a gap, we could just grind at a speed that that didn't seem like anybody could really keep up with us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we didn't have the sprint speed to to pass. You know, a really fast team. You know, so it would take some it would take some time uh, to to get that lead. But if we got it, if we got a gap, um, our grind was was just deadly, and and that that became obvious real early on. So I mean, if you wanted to point to, you know. Uh, you know, a, a, a certain aspect of, of our, what, what happened. I think it's that I, I've thought a lot about, you know, what each of us brings independently and, you know, you can get Jordan to talk about, it. I'd love to hear, you know, what he feels like he brings, because I, I mean, I've thought a lot about it and I've had a lot of guys question me. I think everyone knows out there that, you know, Jordan's a phenomenal athlete. And I think there were, you know, we joked about it early in this episode about, how a lot of people were were wanting to paddle with him this year when he decided to put his mind to the marathon. There's there, you know, people were lining up and uh, you know, I had, I had a lot of questioning of myself even after a couple C1 races, a C1 race where, you know, I got beat by five or six stern guys, you know, and I kind of think, you know, what, what is Jordan doing with me? Like why, you know, why you could have someone faster, you know, you start questioning that kind of thing. And so I've thought a lot about what I bring and I'd, I'd be happy to talk about that, but um, I, I really feel like, you know, I'd like to, you know, I, Jordan, if there's anything you feel like was that sort of uh, made us click or that, that grind just came together from your biking. I don't know, man. What do you think? There's there's one word that comes to mind, and that's smooth. You know, I, I, I <laughs> more people here than I have in the last 10 years that I've done canoe races and the smoothness that it I don't want to it's almost effortless, but. <laughs> it's smooth i mean being able being able to keep that speed and that grind up for you know six seven eight hours I, that's that's key right there without without killing yourself you know the every time in the marathon matt matt and i talked about this you know we would pass people below um mcmasters you know you're way out there middle of nowhere people 
the, the word I kept hearing was smooth. Your boat is so smooth right now. Like, holy smokes, your how, I can't believe how smooth your boat is. Like, mm-hmm. there's no bobbing. It's just smooth. Well, that's the, it, it, it's so important. And it's funny that you mentioned that, Jordan, because it's, it's highly overrated. I shouldn't say overrated. It, it's highly underrated. Everybody wants more power, and they want to do this better and that better. When a lot, the, the key is smooth. It, you know, it's, yeah, I, th- I think you nailed it, man. If you guys were smooth and I didn't see it, but if people are telling you you're smooth and you feel like you're smooth and you feel like it's clicking, you're doing it right. Like you've nailed it. That's, that's the best way to describe it. That's two paddlers together in unison on the same page. And yeah, that's, sure. I mean, that's special. That doesn't even like you can put two really good top notch world-class paddlers in a boat together. And they don't always come up with that. They just don't get that smooth. So. And and it's also interesting because now you're talking really the the key to long course racing as opposed to a, a two hour race. Two hour sprint, yeah. You know, because a two hour you know a two hour race you can you can you know quote unquote muscle uh a bit more whereas in you know because that's kind of at your you know that level of where you can you can tank out your glycogen storage and um all that whereas in uh you know a race like the the marathon or or the clinton you it's more if you tank out your glycogen storage you're 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 gonna be toast so you guys are you know got that smoothness you know that glide um where you can go all night long and 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 pull it out there were a lot of people after spikes that couldn't figure out why i was so damn happy we just lost um (laughs) and in my mind it was like man we were right there like we were right there and we weren't even working that hard and you know it was like the the you know you mentioned long course racing kevin it was like i was so confident that we could do that for hours and hours and it wasn't clear to me that any other team all you know we've been beat twice in a row and yet i still was far from convinced that that they could do that for hours and hours you know what i mean Um, i i I, I gotta ask and this isn't even on our like kevin and i have some you know some predetermined things this that and the other on on marathon night how did that pace feel for you guys coming out? Was that just your smooth, we're going all night long? Or was that like a, a little <laughs> special or? Man, sorry, I'm doing it again, Jordan. Uh, it was easy, Bill. I hate to say this, everybody. It was easy. I mean, and, I mean, I never paddled so hard and had it be easy. It was crazy. That, that's I, nuts. I mean, I really felt, yeah, I really felt like, we were, and this is what's crazy. We were, I felt like we were paddling as hard as we did in the Muskegon River throwdown for 14 hours. And yet I didn't feel like we couldn't go another two hours if we had to. All right. Now I got to throw this at Jordan. Jordan, how did you feel, man? Now I know how you st- your stern fell, right? As a guy that primarily paddles stern, like I can kind of cheat it a little bit from time to time. <laughs> Ignore that if you're out there thinking about Bill Mahaffey for a partner. Jordan, how did you, like, did it feel that way for you too? You know, so we, we put it in the water. We knew we were going to put it in the water, you know, second or third. We ended up putting it in fourth. So automatically, <laughs> I was a little worried. We, we ended up getting around, um, you know, third and then second. And once we got on West and West's wake, we we sat there and chilled. 
you know, we, I'm not going to, we did try passing three or four times all out sprinting and they defended it. But once we did get around them, um, you know, in the flats, it was, we were going hard, but I couldn't believe how fast we were going to at the, right. the level of exertion I was putting out. So is, is that where you got exactly. them? Exactly. And let me, let me, the flats? Well, hold on, Bill. I got to clarify something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's <laughs> because I'm in the same situation as you here, Bill. Like, you know, Mearsman's going easy. No, no, no. Not, I mean, there's that first two and a half hours. I mean, to town line, you know, yeah, sitting on the wake, I, I'm, it's all right. But, but that start of that race was brutal. I mean, that is hard. Those passes we tried to make, I mean, Jordan's like, yeah. what? We need to go. We got to get around these guys. I mean, it was everything. It was super hard for me when I said I, I was being very specific about once we got separation. I felt like we were able to get into our own rate, like our, our grind. Basically, we mentioned it before. Yeah, absolutely. Like once we can lock into that gear, I mean, it's not it's it's not easy. It just feels sustainable. It just feels like something I could do for hours and hours, and it's right. hard, but it's like doable. That's that's awesome, man. How, like, and you guys are burning matches every time you're trying to pass them. You only, I'm, yeah. I'm a finite. You only have so many matches in the book, right? And when they're yeah. gone, and I, and I tell you, anybody that was at Keystone Landing on Marathon Night, they, <laughs> they, got, they got to see it right there because I tell you what, that's the fastest I've ever gone in a canoe, and not been able to pass somebody. Whoever, wow. I've a hundred people there, and we night there. That's 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 crazy, but man, I I know what you guys are it talking was. about though. That that grind is so like, I it's happened to me in the past too. Uh, I've had I've had races like that. Um, I can think of our my 2017 uh, uh, Clinton when I uh, won the amateur with my dad. We um we could we were not fast for short periods of time. But we were able to grind. So, I, again, I, I think that is probably one of the biggest keys to long course racing. So, Absolutely. So, so when you guys got together, like, training, from a training side of things, what was your training focus? Like, what did you work on together when you were in the boat? <laughs> you know, that, that I, I bet you, Matt, Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, we maybe had 30 hours together total with florida yeah i was just gonna i mean it might be close but if so it's like 80 percent of it was races right yeah. that's i was doing the math yeah that's so that's we talked with uh you know dave smith matt matt loves the longer stuff the long grindy stuff and i hate that stuff so matt was doing a lot of you know longer low intensity stuff Meanwhile, up here in Grayling, every time I get in a boat with somebody, they, you know, it's, it's hammered down, you know, they're chasing Strava segment and, um, it's an hour to an hour 20 of as hard as you can go. And, you know, Matt kind of got on me a little bit about that, you know, about, you know, going too hard, too close to marathon. And I bet you we had, I, I think we only had two or three paddles that were, you know, over four hours together. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a couple C1 paddles that were four, four and a half hours. But other than that, my stuff was all kind of high intensity, intensity stuff, whereas Matt's was kind of opposite. Until, okay, so yeah, op- until op- at least opposite. Yeah, until a couple of weeks leading up to marathon where Matt really ramped up his, um, you know, his threshold work. Yep. Okay. Wow. It was, yeah, exactly. It, it, and what I thought you were getting at with the question was more like the, 
less about the the type of training which did which Jordan is super right to characterize that I went for the more aerobic base building volume stuff and he tended towards the threshold time trial kind of stuff um up until at least like it was probably four to six weeks that I really got on a, a very intentional program that that started doing threshold work but what I thought you were getting at was more like you know the training together like what did we do in terms of you know, scouting yeah. certain sections or doing intervals together, that kind of stuff. And, and that's where I was kind of chuckling is that we really didn't get to train together. I mean, we, we did, you know, Jordan mentions two to three, you know, four hour runs. I think, you know, two of those were probably in Florida. Um, you know, mm-hmm. once, you know, that was early. So really most of the paddling that we did together was in the, you know, five MCRA races leading up to the marathon. I, I, you know, Rebecca, Rebecca Davis told me something one time and I, I really firmly believe it. I, I think the races are the best training most people can possibly do, which is, you know, we, we have a good turnout for the MCRA races, but there's always people that don't show up and then they wonder, you know, why, why am I not improving? Well, Hey, if you show up for the races, you can't get much better than that for training. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's very specific. Because it's exactly what you're doing is, you know, right. the, the principle of specificity would, would dictate that, you know. So, you know, I think that is is it is a great uh, train, you, you know, especially if you guys use it as a training tool, too. You know, I think a yeah. lot of people just race to race sometimes and you can use it as a training tool. And one that really you mentioned that principle. Of, oh, go ahead, Jordan. Please, Jordan. One that really sticks out to me was um, the Friday before Harry Curley. So obviously Matt's in Indiana. We don't see each other every day or even every week. So we had planned on doing a, you know, a four, four and a half hour paddle the Friday before Harry Curley. And we knew that was going to affect our race, but you know, obviously the marathon's a 14, 15 hour race. And we wanted to, we wanted to see that last section of river, you know, kind of fatigued. Yeah. That's smart. I'm really, I'm really glad that you brought that up, Jordan, because somebody literally asked me that today. They're like, Hey, when you get Jordan and Matt on, cause we, I know that you're going to get them on. Can you ask them about that? I saw that on Strava <laughs> and went, what are they doing? And that, that makes sense. I, I like your logic there. I, I, I knew exactly what you were doing. My dad has described that many a times in his uh, previous. He, 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 I've heard many a stories. He's like, well, what we would do is we'd go and we'd train really hard the day before the race because that race wasn't our key race. It was the Clinton. So we would do that, and then we would be smoked for the race. But he's like, but we were trained. We were fatigued, and we wanted to be fatigued. So that way, in the sixth hour of the, the Clinton, we weren't. So, you know, that Nick was, Walton, that was Nick a, Walton. Big, yeah, a big goal of ours, too. We knew we were going to go in the race a little tired. And, and even the race and go, we didn't win the race, but we did <laughs> win the race in my mind. You know, having <laughs> having a, a four hour race or a four hour paddle the day before and then going in there and, you know, hanging, hanging in with those guys still was yeah, a win. That's, that's a win. Uh, yeah, that's that's just a win. For what? for more ways than you can imagine, um, you know, Bill, it's it was there was no question that that race was the best thing that could have happened to us for for a number of different reasons. Uh, but coming out of it, you know, sitting there at the awards and stuff, you know, after having lost for the first time all year, and and we're not talking about we were just barely winning; we were winning by minutes. So so to to lose a race stung, man. 
And, you know, I, I'll never forget. I think Nick Walton said it best. And I reminded him of it, you know, sitting at the hotel after the marathon. I said, hey, Nick, and this is what, this is what he said right in front of everybody at the awards. He said, nobody's going to remember the Harry Curley race. They're going to remember who won the marathon. <laughs> and, you know, a truer statement has never been made, my friends. Yeah, that is very, very accurate. <laughs> That's awesome. Shout out, Nick. <laughs> yeah, that's great now i i have a question i want to i want to kind of um swing back to the train a little bit matt now you said that you got you were doing more aerobic base do you train with a like a heart rate monitor um or are you just going by uh rate of perceived exertion rpe no i do i chain with a trust a chest strap and i've got an app for my phone that i program my uh workouts to but uh, up until about six weeks before the marathon, I was, um, I didn't have like a dashboard readout and I would just have it pop me statistics every mile. So I wasn't, uh, okay. trying to keep it in any particular zone, you know, so for better part of the year, I was just going out and, and going at what felt like a good pace. But I'm, I'm guessing, you know, based on the numbers it would give me every mile, it was like, you know, zone three, I mean, zone two to three, you know, uh, it would go all over the place. It's kind of hard to tell. It was actually interesting to go back and look based. The averages are, are kind of misleading sometimes. Um, yeah. but then, you know, then once we got six weeks out, I worked with, uh, Graham Smith was a big help to me this year, um, from Sweden kind of put together a program for me. And, uh, I did a lot more, uh, intentional work around threshold and, uh, even some, you know, beyond, beyond threshold stuff. Although, um, you know, I, I mentioned this on uh, Dave's podcast. I didn't, I, I intentionally trained more at the threshold and just below, uh, because right. of something I, I, you know, early on, it was very clear that Jordan and I, um, had a really good grind and that our sprint was potentially very weak. And so you might say, well, why don't you train the weakness? And instead I just decided to throw uh, for me. And I talked to Jordan about it before I did it, but I decided to throw all my chips at, at the grind and, and just say, you know, that I'm going to bet on what we do well. And so yeah. I trained for that. That's, that's, you know, that's, that's smart when you're thinking, when you're thinking race tactics, you know, and, and you're planning, uh, I, w I want the listeners that are trying to uh, progress in the sport to really hear what he just said. And he had a game plan for how he was going to get to the race and that's how he based his training from you know a lot of people don't do that you know a lot of people just throw yeah, they throw darts at a dartboard yeah. and hope it's gonna hope it's gonna work out but you know well, or try to or try to even it out kevin you know what i mean like try to smooth out the bumps so like they're they're actually giving up a little bit of grind to work on their sprint and and that's you know it's not it's not a bad long-term strategy, but I, right, exactly. I just sort of was, was pretty, yeah, short-term, like, you know, here's where we are six weeks out. I think what I need to do is this. <laughs> yep, for sure. Um, and it worked, but, uh, now, now you know, Jordan, I, I, you were uh, up here, you were like, everybody got, wanted Jordan Wakely in the boat so they could go chase the Strava segment, right? <laughs> that's yeah. And like I said, it's, I, I did two or three solo C1 four-hour paddles, but everything else was, I'd get in the boat, and from the moment I got in the boat, it was, you know, eyes crossed, drooling, until you got out of the boat. Well, 
that's a whole nother question that I have for both of you guys is that, you know, um, I know I, I had, you know, I was closing in on 200 C, C1 hours going into the marathon this year um, because I literally have no one to paddle with down here. Um, how, what's your guys' philosophy on training C1 as compared to C2? And um, do you guys have a preference on how much time you're spending in what, which craft? Jordan, I, we'll go with you first. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I bought a C1 this winter. Um, and I spent quite a bit of time in it. Um, you know, that's if you want to get good, you get a C1. You go out there, you learn from your mistakes. To move a C1, you've got to you've got to make it move. That's there's that's plain and simple. Um, that that C1, that C1 alone time, it taught me so much. And that's that was I think that was a huge key to this year's success. Can we, uh, I, I got to interject here real quick and give a shout out to Northbound Outfitters as well as Winona Canoe, right? There's a lot of perception in the marathon canoe racing world, you know, that, hey, you can't win with a Winona. And you bought a Winona 203. I, I used to own one. I wish I never would have sold it. I'm here to tell you, you can win with a Winona three. Yes. It's a great boat yeah. at a great price. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, Northbound and Winona. Yeah, that absolutely phenomenal. Well, do you guys still have any in stock, or do they just fly out of stock as soon as you get them they, in? So I got two last week. They're both gone. I've got two or three more coming in another two months, but they're going to go just as fast as the other two went. Yeah, a, a Winona 203 is probably the greatest investment that most paddlers will never make. They should just buy yeah. one and be happy. Exactly. <laughs> Yep, for sure. So, Matt, what about you with a C1, C2? Well, let me just say this, Kevin. Kind of like you, I live in South Bend, Indiana, you know, so I don't really even have the luxury of paddling C2 even if I wanted to. Um, I, you know, I think Jordan is absolutely right in that there's there's no replacement for C1 in terms of building confidence and and building, you know, your ability to to move the boat. I don't, you know, I think it's even more important. This is stereotypical, but it, I, I think it's, I think it's even more important for bow guys to to spend that time in the C1. Um, but I've been a, a pretty successful stern guy, and 99% of the paddling I do is in a C1. Um, you know, and I, I said this before, like I don't really even necessarily get to do my stroke when I'm in a C2 because you know my job is to find him and. Um, you know, in, in the case of Jordan, I think that's one of the things that was a little bit magic is I think that, um, I was able to kind of do pride. I didn't, I wasn't even aware of it being this, but I think I was able to do what felt like my stroke more and it just matched. Um, typically yeah. I'm having to adjust to find them because it's, it's well worth it. Um, but you know, I, I see one because uh, it's my only choice, honestly. And, and I don't know that I, I mean, I am kind of a, of a team sort of guy. In fact, uh, when, when we were talking earlier about what we thought we brought to the teams, I was going to go on this really geeky tangent about, uh, you know, the, the sort of team aspect of our sport. I think it's really unique. And I think a lot of guys don't, a lot of guys and gals, uh, but probably less so with the ladies, uh, don't realize how much, the sort of interpersonal like trust basically is what it comes down to. Like 
if you don't trust your partner, you cannot be your best. You will not, cannot lay it all on the line because you don't know if they are too. And it's just, you're too vulnerable. Uh, and so I really feel like, you know, <laughs> through years of what's kind of related to what I do for work, I've been married for 22 years. Um, I really think that there's a, there's a huge component to what I wanted to bring to what I, what I try to bring to the, this is, is, is basically, Hey man, I'm with you. Like this is both of us and, and, you know, you can trust me. Uh, and, and I know that sounds kind of weird or whatever, but, but I think it's huge. And, and, um, I, I miss that in the C1. That's, you know, that's why I say it's mostly yeah. by default that I paddle C1. It's not, I actually enjoy uh, paddling with other guys. Um, but I just don't have that luxury here. Yeah, for sure. I was going to say there probably isn't a whole big talent pool in your parts of Indiana, like that are at your level in a, in a C2 that would jump in a C2. Is there? Shout out to Ted Beatty, my main man, Ted Beatty. Um, I usually get him up to Michigan for an MCRA race about once a year and everybody's like, who the hell is that little yeah, guy who's that, that dude just with, finished who's that dude with place or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> so my buddy Ted fed for me this year. He's an amazing friend. He loves to paddle like I do, just just for the sake of paddling. And so canoe racing kind of lets us both do that even more than we probably would otherwise. And so I can do it. But honestly, when I paddle with Ted, I'm more likely to go in the bow anyway. So it just, you know, um, it's bow. not, you know, yeah. <laughs> bow stud Matt Mearsman. <laughs> oh man you have no idea bill i did you know I've done two marathons in the bow and I'm, I'm looking for someone small enough to do it again <laughs> <laughs> look man i'm all about the north american starvation death march diet but i don't think i can leave that much i appreciate the offer <laughs> um that that kind of brings me like i have another question in regards to equipment on that and because you, you guys are you're 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 shorter matt correct correct me if i'm wrong or no, am i, I mean, totally I'm, wrong like I'm about easy, six, easy now you never call me short he's yeah well i mean, I mean shorter than jordan well for, you know. uh yeah shorter <laughs> than you kevin yeah <laughs> i don't know i don't know yeah. like i'm not it doesn't matter but anyways um my whole my whole point was um I remember in 2017 when I paddled with Mike Freeze, um, he was very, you know, very team centric as well, but he wanted us to paddle with the, the same paddle length. So that's we awesome. Pad- we both <laughs> paddled with 50 inch paddles. That's how much he wanted us to be. You know, he's like, right. well, no. you know, we don't, we don't feel in sync when you're at a 49 inch and I'm at a 50 inch. So we both paddled with 50 inch paddles. So I was wondering, because I know that there is like, you know, size difference between you guys. Do you guys paddle? Like what, what's, what length paddles do you guys <laughs> use? Okay. I'll, uh, I'll start with I, Go ahead, Jordan. Yeah. I, I know people are super, you know, stingy about their paddle links i have eight paddles and i'll tell you right now not one single one of those paddles is the same length as the other paddle <laughs> and i i change i change frequently like i one one day i'm gonna paddle with a 48 the next day i'm gonna paddle with a 51 it's wow it doesn't matter if it's a c1 or a c2 it's it doesn't that's that's a uh, yeah, it just is, is it comes it, now, now, wait a minute. This, this may actually really benefit you here. There's there's some I've, I've 
somebody bounced a, a theory off me one time, and I got to ask: do you do you do it randomly, or is there some like method to your madness here? You know, the biggest thing is water level. You know, I don't want to take a, a Power Surge Pro out when it's super shallow and absolutely destroy it. Welcome to the exactly. Upper Sable. Exactly, but um, yeah, I mean, my C1 paddles are generally a little longer than my C2 paddles, but not by much. But it's it is pretty random depending on water level. So, so the the theory that was bounced off me, and I'll bounce it off you, gentlemen, the the champions here, is that by varying your paddle length, you vary the way that it hits your muscles and your body throughout the stroke. Because you can, I, can you feel the difference between a forty eight and say a fifty fifty one, or is do they all just feel the same? You know, to me, honestly, they all feel the same. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So when, I, when I go from a like a forty eight and a half to like a fifty one, I can man, I can tell I got the bigger stick. Yep. I mean, yeah. obviously, it's Me a, if it's a medium. If if I'm paddling with a power surge medium or a power surge light, I can definitely tell that difference. Um, but lengthwise, I really can't. Okay. Hmm. You don't you don't feel a yeah. difference there. That's especially well, muscle wise. So... one obviously a paddle, you're able to reach a little more, but. Um, muscle-wise, I, I don't feel that. Okay. Uh, Bill, you know, Bill, I'm, I'm more like you, but I'm so encouraged to hear Jordan say what he did because I think it actually speaks to, to Kevin's original question, and, and that is I kind of feel a little bit like this in general that, you know, we just use what we got, and, we, you know, you make it go, like whether it's the boat or the paddle. I mean, I was paddling with flat blades, and Jordan's got power surges, then I – use my zones when the water is nice. Um, you know, we're switching. We're, we're never paddling with the same paddles. Him and I, I guarantee you never paddled with the same kind of paddle, not only length, but actual paddle blade type. Um, and I've had guys, you know, shout out to Jeff Kolka who, and Matt Stride, both of those guys would loan me paddles to use because they didn't want me <laughs> paddling with a flat blade paddle with them. Hey, you can't, you can't use that. It, what, what is that? You can't use that. Right. You can't use that. And, and I honestly don't think it makes a damn bit of difference. I think I can match them with, with a wood paddle if I had to. Now, um, you know, it, it, obviously the rate's going to become an issue. But, uh, you know, I, I just – I think Jordan and I kind of both just kind of come at it that way. Like we're just going to take what we got and make it go, you know. Like it's not mm-hmm. about figuring out what the right boat is, what the right length is, what the right stroke rate is. We didn't count any of that stuff. Like that's 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 amazing. And go like hell. So, so many people in this sport get so tied up in the minutiae, right? Uh, present company included. What's what's the stroke rate at? Oh, we got to get the stroke rate up three more strokes per minute. Uh, <laughs> you got to switch the paddle, right? You got to switch the paddle. Mm-hmm. How? Where's the trim? Slide, slide just an eighth of an inch, eighth of an inch, slide an eighth of an inch. Let's do this. No, no, no. Slide. I never a, a changed my trim the whole marathon, Bill. I never changed my trim the whole marathon. I never moved I, once. Are you kidding? Wow. That, well, that was that was actually going to be one of my one of the questions too was about trim, um, and I was wondering if and when you guys set your trim and how often it was changed and. In that type of uh, uh, of a thing, just just because you know you hear you know some people that don't change it ever, and some people that are changing it. You know, uh, I paddle a lot with uh, Ben Schlimmer back when I was up in New York, and he would he would change every three four minutes. We would be sliding around somewhere, you know. So, 
Um, I I actually think if you know what you're doing, if you can feel it, I think it can be a really great thing. I don't mm -hmm. doubt that boat trim uh, relative to water depth and speed can make, you know, can make a difference. I just don't, I don't fiddle. I don't have, I don't, I don't know if it's not, I don't have the feel for it or, or what, but I just don't give it the bandwidth. Like I, I just ignore right. it kind of and just go. So mostly it's if my bow guy is like, Hey, try to move up, try to move back and then I'll move. But otherwise, as long as the, the water's not dramatically at one end or the other, I just go. Right. Right. I, so, I think it. I think at some points it can be a little bit distracting. Mm -hmm. um, almost like you've got that in. You're the always back doubting. Of, You're always yes. doubting. Is it right? Am I, you know. Right. Did so? Did you like like when you guys you know went and did your like long piece? Is that like when you guys was, you 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 kind of made those adjustments? Then is that kind of when you decided where you're gonna roughly sit or? I I mean from what I remember. <laughs> you know, I was just got enough water in the boat, which actually, you know, came in with our shoes. There was enough water to kind of see where it was sitting when we were paddling on. And actually mm -hmm. it was probably really kind of terrible conditions for, for testing this, but it was like the upper, upper Osable above the city park. Jordan and I went up there and, you know, so super shallow water once you get out of the pond and, you know, just kind of paid attention. And it was basically sitting just in front of the baler, if not behind when we're really going, you know, the bow would come up some, but it just, I, and there was a part of me, honestly, guys, you're going to laugh, but it's like, I didn't want my feet under the cover. I thought that was crazy. Jordan's way too big for me to have to go under the cover. And so <laughs> I went up to the cover and I locked the clamp and it was like, <laughs> there we are. That's, that's where we're going to be. That's, that's it. Tighten it down. We're done. <laughs> that's, that's funny. <laughs> Funny, but you know, it's... Where, where did you in the, in the bow of the JD pro two, where did you, were you all the way back or were you. And every boat's built a little different. So this is a, a tough, for those of you that don't know, this is a tough way to measure because all the way back, maybe a different distance, depending on yeah. how the boat's built. But yeah. You know, I bet you there was on the, uh, on the seat tube rails, I bet you there was probably eight to 10 inches of room left, but you know, I've, I'm six, four and I didn't have to stack my feet. That was a huge, huge part of, you know, oh, that's a big win. Yeah, the comfort in that boat, you know, not having to stack my feet, you know, no numbness in the legs or my butt and having my feet side by side was, I mean, that's the key right there. Yeah, it's, sure. it's, it's, it's so important with a, a race that long that you're you are comfortable, you know, um, how did you know you, you brought up something that I'm gonna go a little off script here too. Um, you didn't stack your feet. Leg drive is often talked about in our sport. You're a world-class mountain biker. Did the leg drive, like, is that, do you, do you find yourself utilizing that? Is it a cross? You know, you know, now that you say that with Matt, I really, I really don't remember using it a whole lot. Obviously in the sprints and stuff like that. But, um, you know, when I'd get in the other, when a boat with someone else from up here, you know, for lake sprints or, you know, chasing Strava segments, I remember pushing, pushing so hard that I thought I was going to break the, the foot brace and pout yeah the plate exactly but with matt i don't i don't know if it's the smoothness thing that comes back or what but i don't remember having to to reef or push as hard as i had to with anyone else man i'm i'm so glad to hear that jordan because that's i was thinking as he asked that i'm like shit the only time i remember driving my legs is during our sprint um like i can remember you know just pumping pumping in the sprint but because 
we had kind of figured out going into the marathon. I mean, so don't again, don't get me wrong. I may have baited it wrong. We were sprinting early on. I mean, trying to jump those guys. It was everything we had. I'm sure we were both pumping at that point. But, you know, so much of that race was our grind. And I think Jordan's right. I, I mean, unless we're just both remembering wrong, I don't really think we were driving that much uh, relative to to what, you know, for one, relative to our sprint and two, relative to the videos that I've seen of Andy. I mean, I just feel like a lot of what or Ryan, you know, Halstead, like those guys, you just it just seems like their legs are just churning pretty much even in a grind. They're just churning. Yeah, that's and that's why I asked that question. Um, it, it it is a big like that's uh, you, you gotta you gotta push you gotta the legs the legs the legs and it's I was just very curious and that it's good to hear that you guys didn't have to do that and were as smooth as what you were. I I still think the key is the smoothness, like the whole thing yeah. that we've talked about. Yeah, man, I think that you know actually pumping the legs sometimes can be can can kill your smoothness can kill your glide because you're you have too much too much of your body is moving and shifting weight inside the boat i mean that's my opinion but again um, kevin i think that's a it's a long race thing man i think i yeah. think and i could even be wrong about this i'm i mean obviously there's been some incredible paddlers with a lot of leg drive that have been very successful in the long races but i think that there's no question that leg drive is required in sprinting. I mean, it's like, yes, of course. Right. But yep. in this long race, I think, I mean, I want to say we showed that, you know, you can do pretty damn well without <laughs> See, it. Uh, you, you may have just won it and set the record, <laughs> right? So I... Uh, well, you know, like you say the, with the sprinting, there's a leg drive. Like one of the, the videos, I it's just... It, plays in my mind is the Andy Trebold and Serge Corbin sprint finish video. And you look at them yep. and their legs are just cranking, but then they are sprinting at that point, you know, and that's what a lot of, yep. I think a lot of people see that. And then they say, Oh, well, this is how I need to paddle all the time. And they don't realize that that's, that's their gear. That's like you're gearing in your, like, you know, with bike your mountain bike. That's yeah. yeah. That's, that's when you're, you're yep. changing gears. So, yeah. um, you know, but yeah, that's, that's, that's really good to, to hear other people. Cause I, I, I feel the same way as you get. like, I don't, I use my legs, but I try not to make it. So it's, you know, jarring the boat when I'm cruising, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. um, uh, I, <laughs> I gotta ask this. So I'm a, I'm a light geek. Um, if people don't know, um, I search out, I, I sell lighting as a career and I search out lighting, uh, you know, on, on the canoes. And I noticed, uh, at your finished picture, you guys still had your light on and it was still on. <laughs> so my question to you is what, what light are you running <laughs> that you're running it for 13 hours? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How did it, and yeah, was it on all night thing. long and it lasted that long? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it'll well, run. So, so it, I've, <laughs> the first two hours ahead, it was off. Yeah, first two hours it was off. Okay. Yep. Yep. But I, I have burned it down in the house several times and it, it actually, it takes forever to actually burn it down. What happens is it just gets pretty weak. So it was on, but it, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> It wouldn't have done you a whole lot of good, I think, if it was nighttime right. uh, by that point. 
but the light was a, a bright eyes. Um, okay. Yeah. Had it for a couple of years. I used it in 2019. Um, really good lumens and long burn time. And once we figured out the uh, switching mechanism, it ended up being a great light. It was a little problem for anybody. Uh, apologies for anybody who paddled around Graham and I in 2019. Uh, we had the strobe effect going for way too long and um, <laughs> we, we, we didn't have the switch dialed in. So uh, Jordan and I got that corrected and it ended up being a great light. We also tested a glow worm uh, with a Bluetooth switch, which mm -hmm. we were really excited about the light itself seemed promising uh but you know trying to run the switch from the stern seemed to put the the uh bluetooth kind of at its max and was a little glitchy yeah. um and so we ended up going with the bright eyes and, and i'm glad we did because it worked out great and How's did it jordan did it work good for you up in the bow like were you able to both see and penetrate i'm trying to think how to choose my words it was perfect. Yeah, Matt had uh, Matt had rigged something up so I could just tap the top of the paddle, and um, uh, you know, pretty much once it was on, I never shut it off. That's um, awesome. Especially, especially with the fog on the river, it was it was kind of a crazy wispy fog almost all night. Um, that's up that's in, where I was going yeah. with that. Yeah, go go yeah. ahead. Tell us about the fog for those up of us. Fog. Yeah. So, yeah, there was there was times I want to say ninety percent of the night there was fog on the river. It got really really bad in a few spots. Um, where I was kind of just going on, on feel. Um, but otherwise it was, I, knowledge of the river is a huge thing, obviously. And I, I really <laughs> took that and made that an advantage. Um, but other than that fog, it was, it was wide open and that light other than two or three spots, it was, you know, it penetrated the fog and it was perfect. Yeah. The, the fog know, was, it was interesting. It was, it was, at, we, we watched a team, and my partner was like, I get a sense. He was like, what are you doing? And I knew they were heading right for shore. We watched them just about run right into shore because it, it was that thick. You know, yeah. Bill, I, I really want listeners to know um, that, you know, I've done this race 15 times and I've, you know, I've had some guys make me watch the GPS to call the hubs and all this kind of stuff. And I hated it. And, um, you know, being from out of town, I don't know the river that well. And everybody, like, everybody knows Jordan, knows this great athlete, all this kind of stuff. I am not kidding you. I am still in awe of how well he knew that river for someone who's only done the marathon five times. I mean, I, I had, I've paddled with like Nick Walton, uh, Josh Taylor. Those guys were incredible in how they knew the river, but they've been doing it for years and years. Like, Jordan, I don't. I, I was blown away in that fog without any GPS. How hard he was. Basically, what I mean is how confidently he was able to apply power to the paddle in conditions where I couldn't see in front of us at all. But because he was going all in, I had no problem just laying on it. Like, okay, he knows where he's going, and we're doing it. So, you know, it, I couldn't believe it. We're going off a cliff. We're going off a cliff as a team. <laughs> yeah, as a team. That's that That's team right. aspect, I'm right? 100% yes. in. I'm 100% in. I'm going for it, yeah. So we're we're in the night. We're, we're in the night at this point during the race, right? What are you guys, um, and I'm sure Dave hit on this a little bit, what are you eating? What are you drinking? What are your, the question that I like to ask is what's your flavor, right? Everybody has a flavor of goo. What's your 
Zero goo this year for me or Matt. Zero goo for both. Wow. Zero, zero goo. Yeah. Oh, dang it. It's the goos that's slowing us down. <laughs> yeah. I got, I'll be right back, guys. I got to go throw them out. <laughs> nobody got time for goos. <laughs> no, ain't nobody got time for that. Exactly. Uh, uh, I could see I, a meme coming up here in the next week. <laughs> <laughs> so both jordan and i fueled very similarly he although he used um you know some drink products which he can tell you about that included some calories and even um some macros like i think had some fats and proteins in them um right in his bottle but um i was pretty much straight either water or water with electrolytes uh for 95 percent of my bottles um and we both used uh, essentially, I think Jordan did end up eating a banana. That's a whole nother story. Uh, but I, I've heard that story. That, You're banana. free to share it if you like. If not, don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, but other than that, banana, you know, both of us was, you know, uh, you know, 300 ish calories of liquid, uh, thick liquid every two hours, just slamming it, you know, no time for anything else. Okay. Okay. Um, I use Perpetuum. Um, Jordan was more insure. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, so I, yeah, I played with a new a new um, drink mix this year. I've been playing with it with on the bike quite a bit. Um, Flow Formulas. It's uh, it's got carbs, it's got calories, it's got everything in it. Um, mm. that, that got me through ninety percent of the night, along with two two bottles of Perpetuum and then um, one insure every hour and a half. Okay. Um, question for you: Caffeine. Did you guys use caffeine at all? So my flow formulas had caffeine in it, and it mm-hmm. never never affected me. And I I I drink so much coffee and stuff yeah. like. That. Actually, I had my feeders had coffee at uh, um, loud for me. <laughs> that, that I yeah. I need that, uh, to thrive. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm a, I'm a believer in the caffeine, uh, <laughs> in the caffeine train. So I live, a, I live um, a highly caffeinated life. So yes, that, uh, yeah, that's, that's interesting. No uncrustables though, right? Cause the uncrustable is the unofficial food of canoe racing. <laughs> I did have one of those. That's and I, funny. And I dropped it on the floor and it ended up under the spray skirt and I never did see it. Oh no, that's, that's like a tragedy, man. <laughs> But no, what's worse, Bill, what's what's worse is that two of them never got opened. They were dropped into his lap. They ended up sitting there in front of the baler unopened, just as fresh and beautiful looking as you could imagine. For probably four or five hours, I, lo- I watched those Uncrustables, and I wanted to eat that damn thing so bad. But there was no way I was taking the time to stop and open that wrapper. <laughs> I almost realize, ate it so, after the race, actually. I almost ate the thing after the race. Sit, sitting in Oscoda, here's Matt Mears. But what you doing, Matt? I'm eating my Uncrustable, man. I've been waiting no four hours for this. <laughs> Wait a long, long time for this. Those things have street value, too, right? Like, you could have traded them off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, what about uh, pain meds? Do you guys do any pain meds throughout the race? Um, I did have some Advil or Aleve or something, whatever, whatever Heather was shoving in my mouth. Ah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I did not. I have in the past, but I did not this year. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was. I, I didn't use as, nearly as much as I, I used in years past um, this year. I was like, man, maybe I don't even need it. For me, I found. For me, I found. Uh, um, I used these salt stick uh, uh, electrolyte tabs uh, when I started to feel like I was really start like my my forearms really started to hurt, and it was just. It was just me being low on my. I'm a I'm a very very salty sweater, so like I just had to to do like a super dose of electrolytes for me personally. But um, yeah, I was interested to to find out if how how much the champs use for pain meds. But I think it was it was two or three times. Um, yeah, you know, nine ten hours into the race, and yep. that was about it. But I did I was I did use some endurolytes too the uh, the uh, electrolyte tabs so. Um, those yeah. definitely help. I had those. With, yeah, I had those in all of my. Yep. Go ahead. Yeah, sixty sixty plus degrees at night. I mean, I, I and actually the week leading up to the race, I drank more water than I ever have, and would actually take two or three endurolites um, with lunch to kind of get the body used to it. Right. Yep. It's interesting. You you mentioned leading up to the race. Like what, what was your pre-race and we can approach this like two different ways. Like what's your nutrition like as, as world-class athletes, obviously on a day-to-day basis. And then also like day of the race, do you have like a, are you superstitious at all? Do you have a favorite meal? For me, I always eat pancakes in the morning and tuna noodle for dinner. Like that's it. And it's gotta be that. And if it's not that, then. Mm. Yeah, it's the the world isn't right. We've screwed up somewhere. Um, I I kept well, my I diet, yeah, pretty much the same leading up to the week of the race. Um, I didn't change very much. It was it had been working for me, so I was I was happy with that. Um, the day of the race, I definitely had pancakes um, that afternoon, um, and then just kind of snacked a couple bananas here and there, but um, big pancake super late breakfast of um pancakes gotcha so what, what about you matt yeah my my uh shout out to my wife she's a nutrition nut um and so race season is like her favorite time of year because i actually eat what she eats around that time of year um otherwise i'm not you know real strict with my diet i've always been skinny my whole life and i seem to be able to eat whatever the hell i want and stay skinny um, but you know, no doubt, especially this year, knowing I was racing with Jordan by April, May, I buckled down on my diet pretty, pretty heavy. I mean, actually probably a, a more vegetable intensive diet than I've ever had this year, just because of what some of her choices that she was making. But, um, you know, I eat plenty of, of fat and, and protein in the way of meat, uh, along with it. Um, but I do, I actually, you know, started a few years ago when I was really strict with my nutrition I made a mistake before the marathon, um, and I've learned from that, and for me anyway, and um, that is uh, my my normal diet when I'm doing well during race season is you know very vegetable and fiber heavy. You know, it's tons of salads, um, lots of vegetables, raw vegetables and fruits. And uh, I did a little research on Ironman stuff, and after I had trouble in in 2016, and, and from what I've been able to learn. Um, fiber and, and the nerves before a big race is not a great combo. Um, <laughs> and so, so I actually start cutting, I'm really strict the week before marathon. I mean, 
less so Monday and Tuesday, but by Wednesday, um, I do a very boring diet. I eat the same thing every single day. Um, and it's very little fiber. I eat, uh, you know, pulled chicken on a, you know, on a white roll, um, with some cucumbers or something for lunch. I eat cereal, like always like a zero fiber, like rice puffs or rice checks or something with some coconut milk, um, for breakfast. And then dinner is always white rice, uh, salmon, and maybe some canned green beans or something. Uh, but that's basically my diet right on through marathon day. And, um, you know, I've been doing that for three marathons and it's, it's treated me pretty well. Actually, this year was, uh, I did have stomach trouble. Um, I don't know how much of it had to do with anything of that. Um, I felt, felt like I was having a little bit of stomach trouble, like throughout the week even. So, um, Mm. I wasn't altogether surprised. I mean, my, my stomach always hurts in the marathon, but doesn't always result in, in what it did. Uh, but yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah, it's a uh, yeah. The the pre race fiber for people, especially people that have nerves, is definitely uh, <laughs> not the. <laughs> I I hear people like eating like oatmeal, like you know, and I'm like, man, that, I'm I'd be three hours in going to the bathroom. Oh, Kevin, this this is way worse than that, man. I mean, the 2016, I had I had Pete Mead, and they'll never let me live it down. I mean. He saw it all come out. Uh, I had salads, I had beets, I had, I had everything. Like all day long, I was just like eating all these vegetables and stuff. And, oh man, he said he's like, man, I come around the corner, it was like a salad shooter. I was like, oh geez, what are you doing? So, so sh- should we, uh, guys? I gotta ask, and you can say no if you like, but should we go there with a banana story? You are on the pace for the record when the banana story happens. You might like, do you want to go there? Or do you not want to? It's up to you. Might, you. As, might as well. Matt can tell it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I think a lot of your listeners are going to appreciate this because there's some unique aspects of marathon that we all face. And the, the one, you know, unless you live in Grayling where everybody knows what the hell the marathon is, uh, when you tell someone that you race for 15, 16 hours, well, what do you do about going to the bathroom, you know? And, um, you know, you always got to say, <laughs> it's that, well, you just go, you know? I mean... <laughs> You mean you, you pee yourself? You know, yeah, you pee yourself, you know, and, um, you know, those of us who do the sport, a lot of us know that that's actually one of the challenging parts. It's not natural to, to piss on yourself. It's not, you know, and a lot I of use, guys. Yeah, I, I use that ahead. as an icebreaker at a, at a big corporate management meeting in like 2016, 2017. And the question was, you know, what did you learn to do that you never thought you could do? at this point in your life. And I stood up and went, I learned that I could pee myself again. <laughs> Everybody just looked at me. So yeah, no, absolutely go for it, man. That's great. Carry on. Sorry. So, so people, you know, have no idea, I think how hard that actually is or can be at least. And, and, uh, you know, I had some of my mentors, Matt Stride. I am not kidding you guys, uh, from, from when I knew him, he had been on like three or four years of never standing to go pee. He always peed sitting down. And that was part of his training to be ready for marathon. And it's not a bad strategy. I've never gone there myself, uh, but, <laughs> but that was part of his thing. So, so anyway, let's bring this around. So, you know, I don't normally have terrible trouble peeing in the marathon. It's just, it's something that you got to be real intentional about. So 
leading up to marathon, I'm talking to Jordan about, hey, man, I'm going to need your help during the race. You know, I want to be able to give you the boat. And when I say give you the boat, I mean, I want you to take responsibility for it. Not only are you going to call the hups, you're going to push, pull, you know, do what you need to the point where I'm not planning on stopping paddling, not even close to it. But I want to, I don't want to have to think about steering. I don't want to think about anything to the point where I can almost close my eyes and focus on relaxing, right? So, so we talked about that, did it in training, no problem, all good. Well, we get to my old dam and, and I haven't pissed yet. I know, I know Jordan has. And, uh, you know, I didn't need, I didn't feel like, oh my God, I got to go or anything, but it was like, I was aware of it. So we get going down below Mayo and, you know, I had stomach ache on and off from hour and a half in my stomach was hurting me. And, you know, I farted a couple times and, you know, it seemed to get some relief. It's like, oh, okay, cool. You know, oh, then, then it's back, whatever, whatever. We get down on our way to McKinley and, uh, I'm like, all right, Jordan, I got to give you the boat, man. Okay. He's good. He's got it. So I'm paddling along and I kind of, you know, really relaxed, close my eyes. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go pee right now. Okay, here it comes. And holy smokes, guys, I thought it was all going to come out. Like, it was not going to be pee. It was going to be everything. And so, you know, it, I immediately tensed up like, no, no, no. I've always told people, you know, I've pissed myself, but I am not doing the other. Like, nope, not happening. And so I shut her down, uh, but that that meant I couldn't pee either. So. We're going now. We're below Alcona. I'm like, all right, I got to try again, you know, and sure enough, I do. Same exact thing happens. It's like, oh, my God. So then I start telling myself, well, you know, I know Mike Davis has finished the marathon without peeing. If he can finish the marathon without peeing, I can do it. We're on record pace. I am, you know, this no way. Suck it up, buttercup. Like you're going all the way. And uh, <laughs> and we're going. I thought I was going all the way, but we get onto foot pond. We get maybe two bends away from the crowd. And all of a sudden, my stomach rolled, and I thought, oh, it's now or never. Like, I, this is happening. And I said, Jordan, I'm sorry, man, but I got to pull over. I got to go, man. I, You're I've been on record pace. Record pace. <laughs> yeah, I that's what he to... said. So he goes, Jordan hadn't said, like, 10 words to me the whole race. And he turns around, and he goes, you know we're on record pace, right? <laughs> I said, I know, man. I'm so sorry, man. I know. I said, uh. Here's the thing, though. I said, I want you to time me, man. I want to know if it's my fault if we miss the record. <laughs> and so and, and, and here's one little detour on this to, to show you how well Jordan Wakely knows the river. I say we're coming right at this point. And we were literally like 45, 50 seconds to a minute off of a point. And I say, we'll, we'll just pull over at this point right here. And Jordan says, you don't want to pull over at that point. Right across from that point is a giant overlook, and there'll be 10, 15 people there standing there watching you. He's like, let's just go over right here. You know, I'm like, okay. So I jump out of the boat, and uh, I'm in chest deep water. Jordan pops his banana, and before he knows, like before he could even finish his banana, I'm back in asking him, how long? What's the time? What's the time? And he's like, 30 seconds, man, 30 seconds. So for the rest of the race, I've got it in my head that if we miss this record by 30 seconds, I am never going to feel right, like ever. And, you know, sure enough, you know, to bring it fully around, we go around the corner to that point, and there is an overlook that I have never seen. I've paddled foot to the finish, you know, between Harry Curley and the marathon, I've probably done it 30 times, and I've never seen that overlook in my life, and Jordan knew it was right there. <laughs> that's, that, that's amazing jordan did you actually get to eat the banana or no i did yep 
that's funny. Get the uncrossable. Get the banana. That's awesome. When is, let's 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 jump on the record here. Like that was the thirty seconds. When did you know you had a chance at it? So we we had been told that Myodam, you know, we came over there in just over five hours. The first thing that I hear behind Matthews and Bruce Barton is, you know, you guys are on record pace, which at that point it meant nothing to me. You know, there's there's nine hours left to race. It's a long ways to go, yep. Exactly. And it it didn't even it didn't cross my mind that hey, we're gonna go chase this record. Um, you know, further on down, we actually lost a minute to West and West between uh, Myon McKinley. So I kind of thought, you know, hey, they're coming back anyways. Um, but every portage, you know, um, loud portage, they told us, hey, you're still above record time. Um, five channels. It didn't occur to me until probably Cook. They told us we were still there. Foot, they told us if we cut every corner. I remember Bruce Barton telling us, cut every corner <laughs> like you guys have it. And I remember crossing the railroad bridge about 15 minutes up from the finish. I actually put the paddle in my lap, looked at my watch, and I was like, we're going to do this. And that, <laughs> that, that, last, that last 15 minutes was, we paddled super hard to get it. <laughs> that's, that, that's awesome. Congratulations. And that, that was one of my, like, one of the next questions was, when did you know? And you, you actually, like, answered it without even being asked. Like, the... Yeah, that's that's sweet, man. Yeah. yeah. After the foot portage, where they had told us it would, it, it kind of crossed my mind. Like, hey, I'm, I want to race for the win. The the record is kind of, you know, not super important to me right now. I just want to win this thing. And then, you know, getting down there, past Whirlpool, where where I actually knew we were going to do it, was was something extra. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's, it's interesting to hear that you didn't go into it like thinking, "Hey, I'm, I'm going after the record." Oh, not even close, Bill. Not even close. I, you know, and and Jordan, if you felt different, you know, by all means, you haven't shared it with me. But you know, going in, we knew we had gotten a lot of rain. We knew that the times would be faster. But I had no record on my mind. I mean, it was the furthest thing from my mind was that we that we might be able to even be close to record pace. I just figured it would probably be my fastest marathon, you know, not nothing about records or anything. And um, for me, it came a little earlier. I mean, uh, you know, I think once the gap between Wes and Weston got close to the 10-minute range, it was kind of like, you know, the race shifted for me into into a race about that record. And, and I think the the moment that that – and it was not that I knew that we were going to get the record, but it was like, holy crap, like this. Jordan mentioned his was 15 minutes there. Like, it was like, dude, we're going to get this. For me, it was when we entered that big, long, wide open section of foot pond, you know, the, the big, the lat, right, going up to that weed cut. Yep, um, the main body of it. And yep. we, the main body, yeah, the main body of foot pond when we entered that. And I, I from everybody I've talked to, you know, that everybody experienced this, but. There was the most intense tailwind um, I'd ever ran through there. And it was going just about perfect. Like, you know, it was like, holy crap, this is meant to be. Like, this, this, this is like the gods are smiling on us right now, like pushing us to this record. Um, and, you know, and, and then the reception that we got at Foot Dam just solidified it. It was like everybody was lit up like, Oh my God, you guys, like, you got this, you got this, you know? So, 
That's awesome. That tailwind, man. That was that was the sign. <laughs> right? The, the sign from the gods, man. That's that's great. Yep. That's awesome. Now, um, that how differently did the race play out from like what your original uh, strategy was? Were you guys expecting to be racing most of the race by yourself, or were you expecting a dogfight? Tell us a little bit about that. Not at all. So for me, I knew West and West were going to hit the water for us. And at some point we were going to be riding with them. Uh, we had it planned out. They were going to feed. Hopefully it was going to be before ours. And when they took their feed, we were going to make a move. Um, we did that. They took a feed at town line. We were taking one just above Connors. Um, we hit it pretty hard after town line, you know, hoping to have, you know, a little bit of a gap so we could take our feed and still come out and have clear water. But when we hit it, we hit it hard enough at town line and across the flats that when we took our feet at Connors, I looked back and they were just coming around the corner at the bra tree. And we uh, we kept the pedal to the metal. And I think by McMaster's, we had two and a half minutes and it just continued to grow after that. It's amazing that you, you mentioned that a lot of people don't think of that strategy, even with the race within the race. I mean, there's. There's people racing people all throughout the field, right? It doesn't matter if you're first or you're 70th, they're racing. And people don't think of something as simple as, hey, when your opponent feeds that you're with, nail it and create some separation. Yep, exactly. Especially yeah. if you're a especially if you're a team that has, you know, lived and died or, you know, succeeded by separation like that's been our magic thing all year long you know so right. you know that's what we needed and west i mean for to west and west's credit i mean they knew that i mean i think that that's why they took what would otherwise be you know i mean no offense guys but a crazy strategy to think that they were just going to block for 14 hours you know no one would do that but i think they knew that if we got a gap it was going to be real hard for them. Like it was going to be real, real hard for them. So, um, you know, I, I, I sort of felt like that race, especially after spikes, you guys, like it, it went almost exactly like I thought it could, if it was going to go well, mm -hmm. like if it was going to go well, even if it was going to go well, we're going to get beat to the river. We're going to have work to do in the first 15, 20 minutes of the river. And then it's going to be us and West and West. And from that point on, I just felt like this is a whole different kind of race. We just got to wait. I knew Jordan would want to burn a few matches. I knew he would. I, I was actually, personally, I would have been content to sit on him until we, you know, had that feed or that mistake, that, you know, that thing. And and you could say. The, the could, moment to capitalize. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. And I think Jordan just, you know, uh, you know, no offense, drives these little antsier than me. He's like, he wants that clean water because he knows that that's when we can go. And, and so he went for it a few times where it, they weren't bad calls. I mean, I think they were opportunities, ran a bit, di little bit different line and, um, and went for it. And I expected that. I knew we would do that. And, and we tried and, and we just got defended every time and um, didn't really surprise either one of us. I don't think, I mean, it wasn't like it was easy to take. It wasn't like it's, it's never fun to lose a sprint, but uh, <laughs> you know, it was not we knew that wasn't the race that that was not the race um and so it was just a matter of what at what point are we going to get that clean water that he mentioned and and from that point on 
then it could play out the exactly the way we wanted it to play out, which was us not having to think about someone riding us uh, or blocking us and, and we can do our thing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting though, that you guys talk about the, the feeds and how that, you know, it, it, it's, uh, you know, you, you just think, what if the, the feeds were switched around? Um, how have yeah. that affected the, the, you know, um, how long it would take for you guys to get, you know, into that clean water, like you were talking about and everything, you know? So, um, yep. You know, but that's something that you guys did, probably had an idea. Did you idea know? I, they I guess did you guys pit? know that they were going to pit? <laughs> we, no, we, had, we, no, had, we sure. had that town line up until probably three days before the marathon, and then we just we decided to switch to the north side, and that was that was the and let and let's be honest, Jordan. It was really our ladies uh, that that made the decision for us. <laughs> they did not want to feed south side, and so. Uh, Thanks to Cam McLean, who knew somebody with a house on the north side, we had an option all of a sudden. And not only did we have an option, which I don't even, maybe you thought about this, Jordan, but I didn't even think about the fact that that option being enough of a gap below town line where we knew a lot of teams were feeding. We didn't know that West and West were going to feed there, but we knew that that's where a lot of south side teams were going to feed. It was far enough above our feed that it gave us time to create that gap. And, and, you know, I, you know, we said it after the race to, to, you know, my wife and, um, and to George's girlfriend, like that, you know, Holy smokes, you guys, you, you guys, that made, that was, that was the decision that, that made our race really. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't think, I, I believe it eventually would have happened, you know, again, whether it's a feed or a mistake or a wear out, whatever, eventually we could get that clean water, but, the longer it takes to get that clean water, the less likely it is that we're going to set that record. Well, and, and you and you burn matches in the effort to try to get that clean water, right? Every one of those sprints sure. is a match. Now, the other side of that equation is they're burning matches, too, to defend that. But that's still a match. Yep. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. I, uh, I, pit, I We got our pits on the north side uh, this year, and that's the first time I've done it on the north side as well and uh i uh had you know how how our race worked out i was on the the opposite side of that you know we were um you know going into a pit and we were the only Beating team the going in. Competitors. yeah I, I was we were on on you know we were riding waves and uh and when we then we would go into a pit and so then we'd have to we'd have to then work hard to get back and catch the pack because uh it just seemed that all you know our pits were just you know timed um right at the you know because we were in like you know decent sized packs like you know three or you know three or four boats and so like two would go in for a pit and so we would stay with other you know the other part of the pack and then they'd catch back up but then when we went into pit it was we were the only ones that went into pit and so then we were by ourselves for a while and then had to work hard to catch back up. So it's, it's, it's interesting though, you know, how, how that all you plays know, out and how that affects your, your, your race strategy. It's huge. And without knowing where they're feeding, which we didn't, it's just right. pure luck, Kevin. I mean, it's yeah. pure luck uh, that, that, that worked out that way. Yeah. 
for sure. We actually thought that we we would have probably done the same type of a thing as you know when they went in. We actually thought we missed our feed because <laughs> I you know I've only done the that was only my third time doing the race. So um, I, I had been sitting there and like I have I'm a you know I I always look at my watch when I'm training and everything like that. So not having the watch to look at you know when you're in the night, um, you know I only had. 40 minutes of night paddling on this year before the race, which was on Wednesday. Um, so like having this, you know, lost sense of time when you're paddling at night. And I was like, man, we've been paddling forever. We must've missed our feet. <laughs> and, and, but we didn't, you know? And, uh, so then when we went around the corner, I'm like, son of a bitch, we should have went <laughs> before, you know, but that's, that's part of it. Was there anything that really stood out during this race that you'll like, uh, obviously setting the record, but anything during the actual race itself that you'll always remember like that special moment? Uh, for me, it was, it was just above Wakely bridge. Um, that little cut, maybe five or 10 minutes up. We're yep. on, we're on West and West is Stern Wake and three deer come running across the river. And I swear to God, one of them jumped over West's head. Like it was that close. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Oops. I'm sorry, listeners. <laughs> Read you. Did did any of them uh, happen to have antlers by chance? Did so they I have think, a rack? No. Here I see. They, yes. they were very small. <laughs> <laughs> but it scared the hell out of Wes, especially. A canoe runs into a deer. <laughs> I, I think that would help you pee in the boat right there, that exact moment. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Oh, man. Um, for me, you know, I, I told you guys earlier in the show, I geek out on the team aspect of it. And I don't know at what point I know. Well, you know, I got to start with earlier in the year when I met Jordan's grandma and she said, I'm expecting big things from you boys. And I said, well, I can tell you one thing. We're going <laughs> to no have pressure. more fun than anybody else out there. And boy, his grandma just lit up. She's like. I've been telling him he needs to have more fun. That's exactly what I've been telling him. And so Jordan and I are going down the river at some point and he volunteers it. I didn't even ask him. And this is the kind of thing that I would ask. But in this case, I didn't ask it. And he's like, I'm having fun, man. <laughs> I, it just lit me up. I loved it. So like, you know, there was several points from then on where I'd be like, you still having fun up there? We were getting into like the weedy crap on cook pond and like five channels. And it's like, awful. And I'm like, you still having fun up there? Wakely? <laughs> yep, awesome. I'm still having fun. <laughs> still having fun. I'll never forget it. That's right. <laughs> that's that's great so did anything go like did anything go wrong during your race man i'm sorry to keep you guys on we're, we're just about done but yeah did anything go wrong during the race any unfortunate mishaps or anything you know that's what i tell everybody like that that wouldn't have went better like it was it yeah. was picture perfect between the weather the water yeah our feed crew the moon like it was it was absolutely perfect i mean minus a 30 really second was. stop yeah that's right that's right <laughs> But hey, that's that's Wait, even, even that was only the 30 seconds. That's like perfect, right? If you have to take a pit right, stop, 30 Dale, seconds is pretty exactly damn good. Right. Yeah, exactly. That, that's that's exactly true. Right. <laughs> now, why don't yeah, we? And you guys even caught a tailwind on foot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. 
<laughs> so why don't we uh, do the last question of what each of you, which is what part of the river is your favorite stretch? Oof. And we'll end it there. For me, for me, it's always um, town town to uh, Parmalee in the, in the dark. Um, this year's marathon was probably Thompson's Landing to um, Loud Dam. That sun coming up and that perfect water. It was super flat. Um, yeah, that was my favorite part this year was Thompson's Landing to Loud. Thompson's to Loud. Okay, that's a that's a great stretch. So it is. Yeah. Matt, what about you, Matt? I love it. I love. It. Yeah. So uh, Jordan's girlfriend Heather actually asked me this question before the race, and when I answered her that it was uh, Alcona the Loud, she's just like, "Oh my God! Of course you. That's the worst. You know, like she had to like it was, and I and I know where she's coming from. I know she's coming from like a within the race kind of standpoint, and right. and and I was actually answering it just from a purely like beautiful section of river with water that I like, you know, I just, I just love that, that remoteness of, of that section of water. Um, and, and so to hear Jordan saying, I know it's not exact. I know Jordan, it's not Al- Alcona the loud. You were very specific. Thompson's the loud, but, uh, <laughs> the fact that, that that was one of your favorites makes me happy. Um, you know, I would still say I, I gotta, you know, I, I just have an affinity for that particular section. Um, but you know, I'd be lying if, if I didn't say that, you know, the upper part from, you know, town to McMaster's or Parmalee, whatever, it, you know, that's just, it's a sweet section. Ooh, of river. Ooh, I mean, there's no town question. to McMaster's. Okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah. We get a lot of crap here in Grayling Not- in the town to McMaster's. <laughs> so yeah, that's okay. Of course. Exactly. You guys are lucky up there, man. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you guys so much for being on. Um, I want to give you guys a a quick minute to shout out any of your sponsors. Uh, For me, just northbound, uh, the flexibility to to leave or come and go as I want to train um, in my feeders. Um, Cam and Jamie McLean, Dan Schwarzenjuber and um, Heather, like they without without their their pit and feeding like that that race wasn't possible for, for myself. Great, Matt. Do you have anyone you want to thank? Oh, absolutely. I mean, in this might seem kind of cheesy or whatever, but, uh, I I really, you know, feel like the, the sort of Michigan canoe racing community, uh, in general has been, you know, really good to me as, you know, an outsider sort of by technicality, um, and, and just uh, really kind of, you know, feeling like part of the, the, the scene up there for so long. And, and uh, I don't know, man, it's, it's just an incredible place to come up. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I would be totally wrong to, to not thank, you know, my wife and the people that drive five hours to come and be part of feeding for us. Um, you know, my mom, my sister, Dennis Bailey, Ted Beatty, all Kelly Harrington, all these people that are just incredible friends and loved ones that, um, they're there for me when I need them. So, um, you know, had a great sponsor in Crooked U Brewery, which, you know, fuels me all year with great food and good beer. Um, and then, you know, support we got from Northbound and Fairview Market and, and all those you know, home waters, just incredible. 
Um, so I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, other than to say that I had the baddest partner that there ever was. So <laughs> shout out to you, Jordan. Awesome. Yeah, that's that's great, fellas. Well, hey, thank you very much for coming on the show with us tonight. Um, it, it was awesome. I, it, uh, I appreciate you guys sharing this and sharing this moment with the the listeners. So I do. It, um, it it's pretty cool, man. So it, it stuff like this is what really helps grow the sport of uh, marathon canoe racing. And it, I, I just can't say thank you enough. Exactly. Yes. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, it's 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 a pleasure to 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 talk shop with you guys. I'd love to talk more with you guys, and uh, maybe we'll have you guys have you guys on uh, in the future sometime. For sure. All right. Thanks, Kevin. All right. Yep. Thanks, guys. Till next time, guys. Keep paddling on. Thank you for listening to the CanoeRaceWorld.com podcast, where we love marathon canoe racing and aren't afraid to say it. Be sure to visit the website at CanoeRaceWorld.com, and don't forget to support our sponsors who make this whole thing possible. Until next time, keep paddling. <laughs>